This is most certainly true. In the greatest act of selfless mercy, God sent his own son into our world to die for your sins. And we can't stop talking about it. We now present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Wake up! Sorry. I suppose that's poor preaching form. I probably ought wait till the middle of the sermon to startle you when coffee wears thin and heads start to nod a bit. But I couldn't help myself. How could you miss that theme in our worship today? From the opening hymn, That last line of the first stanza, up, pray and watch and wrestle, at midnight comes the cry. The first words of the first reading from Isaiah, awake, awake Zion. The words of the Apostle Paul in the second reading today, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Then, of course, there's the grand hymn that we just sang, Wake, awake, for night is flying. We heard that same tune in pre-service music. We'll hear it during the musical offering. We'll hear it after the service, which, on a side note, makes my heart very happy. As just nearly 20 years ago, my bride walked down this aisle to that tune, same organist and all. How could you miss that theme today in worship? Wake up! But why the repetition? God said it through the prophet Isaiah 2,700 years ago. He said it again through the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago. A German pastor just after the time of Martin Luther wrote that hymn, Wake, Awake, a hundred years later. Another hymn writer wrote the opening hymn. Here we are today with worship interlaced with this theme, Wake Up. Why? 
does God keep sending this message and why do God's people keep repeating it? It's because it's so difficult. It's so difficult to do. It was Holy Week. Jesus had already entered into Jerusalem humbly, yet with grand triumphant procession, greeted with waving palm branches and shouts of Hosanna on Palm Sunday. On Monday, Jesus cleared out the temple and he overturned all the tables. On Tuesday, Jesus answered endless questions from his challenging enemies and he expressed his longing desire, his hurt, that his people, Jerusalem, would not believe and turn to him. But then, on that same day, Tuesday of Holy Week, Jesus engaged in a very lengthy and private discussion just with his disciples about the end times. They walked through the city and he showed them the temple and told them that soon this will all be destroyed. In fact, that happened 40 years later. And as they went out to the Mount of Olives, he, he told them about other signs, signs that would indicate the end of time and his final return. And that's when he told them, when he comes back, once and for all, it will be unexpected, like a thief in the night, sudden and, and quick. And it was that thought of his quick and sudden final return that led him to tell a story to illustrate. It's the famous parable we heard today. Jesus said this, at that time, the, the end of time, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, you probably need to know that weddings back then and in Jewish-Israelite culture were much different than weddings today. Weddings back then were not some showy event where bride and groom were searching for every cute and kitschy idea they could find on Pinterest to create some grand spectacle replete with bridesmaids and flower girls and ring bearers and a wedding party all too eager to hit the party bus afterwards. And the wedding celebration after, that was by no means a two-hour sit-down dinner concluding with some cake face smashing, a, a DJ who thinks he's cooler than what he really is, and a little chicken dance and Cupid shuffle to end the night. No, weddings were much different. Of course, there was the joy leading up to the grand celebration, the, the wonderful event, and, and maybe in somewhat humble circumstances compared to today, the bride and groom would be married, and then the bride would go to her home, and she would wait, not long, but she would wait for the groom to come and get her. She would wait with her attendants, and then family and friends and wedding party would all grand process to the home of the groom, and there, there they would celebrate and feast. Sometimes it would be an entire week of celebration. Jesus plops us right into the context of a wedding celebration like that. And he tells us about 10 young maidens, 10 virgins who are waiting for the groom to appear. We can at least relate to the joy and anticipation of a wedding to come, including two in the front right here, Annie and Jared, six days away, it's coming. We understand this. But then, like many stories of Jesus, it takes a quick sideways turn. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. 
Jesus says. The Greek word for foolish is moros. It's where we get the English word moron. Five of these virgins were wise, intelligent, thoughtful, careful, sensible. But five were stupid, morons, foolish. But why? It's not like they didn't know there was a groom. It's not like they didn't know there was going to be a celebration. It's not like they didn't know that he was coming. But rather, they were foolish. They were morons because they weren't keeping watch and prepared. It's interesting to see that, that all 10 of them, the wise ones included, didn't really expect this to take so long. Again, all 10 were there waiting. All 10 were expecting the groom. All 10 were ready to celebrate. All 10 had their lamps. But understand, the lamps were more like long torches, poles with cloth on the top dipped in oil to burn. Ah, but seconds turned into minutes, which turned into hours. Oh, where is he? What's taking so long? If you caught the detail, all 10 of them fell asleep on the watch. But five were considered wise because they were at least prepared for this challenge. They had enough oil to make it. Their flame kept burning. The other five were considered morons, foolish, because they had no oil whatsoever. Ooh, but oh, did they scramble at the last minute. The call went out. The bridegroom is near. He's coming. Jesus said, the foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. There wasn't enough to share. That's not the kind of thing you can easily share with someone else. So, so when the foolish ones ran out to find the local 24-7 quick trip, well, the groom came back. The procession left. The feast started. The door was shut. That's when, again, the, the story takes a very unexpected, sudden side twist. It goes from celebration to sadness. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Boom, door shut, closed forever, end of story. And just as we're trying to wrap our brains around the details of this very strange wedding event, Jesus snaps us right back to reality and right back to what he had been talking about, Judgment Day, and he tells us the point. Sometimes Jesus helps us out and actually tells us the point. He does today. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. That's the point. Jesus is coming back like a thief in the night, unexpectedly, suddenly, quickly. So don't be spiritual morons. Don't be foolish, Jesus says. Be ready. Be prepared. Keep watch. Wake up, says Jesus. Keep watch. Those were certainly words from Jesus, along with the whole rest of Matthew chapter 25, where he goes on and on about Judgment Day. These were certainly words that would have caught the disciples' attention. Wouldn't you think many of the disciples would have had rolling through their minds all kinds of thoughts? Oh, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be prepared for that. I want to be at that feast. I'm going to keep watch. I'll be awake. 
That did not last very long. If you recall, I told you earlier, this was spoken on Tuesday of Holy Week. Fast forward two days to Maundy Thursday. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. The hour is drawing near for Jesus. The burden is weighing heavily upon him about what is soon to happen. And Jesus said this, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And interestingly, it's the exact same word he said two days earlier in this parable. It should have triggered a response. Keep watch. He's telling us. And yet what happened? Yeah, physically, literally, and metaphorically, fell asleep on the job. Jesus returns as he's praying about what's soon to happen. And Jesus says, watch. Again, exact same word. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Even with that warning, three times they fell asleep. And in fact, within minutes, Jesus is being arrested and they're running away in fear, deserting him. Within an hour or two, Peter is calling down curses on himself, denying that he even knows the Lord. And within three days, all of them are locked behind closed doors, completely terrified and confused. Oh, morons. You would never be so foolish. I would never be so foolish. We know the groom. We know the groom is returning. We know there's going to be a grand celebration. We're watching. We're ready. We're prepared. We're waiting. And we're waiting. And we're waiting. You know, come to think of it, it's been kind of a while. We sang in the psalm today, Psalm 90, with God, a thousand years is like a day that has just gone by. Well, no kidding. It's been 2,000 years. Where are you at, Lord? Seconds turn into minutes, turn into hours, which turn into days and years, which turn to decades and centuries and millennia. And before you know it, the eyelids of God's people grow heavy and heads start to nod a bit and we become a bit spiritually lethargic as our lamps are starting to flicker. Well, I can go to church next week or the week after, you know, when I can. I mean, I, I'm trying, listen, I'm trying to read my Bible, but honestly, who's got time with all the stuff going on right now? Who's got time for that? I want to pray, but I just, I just don't always know what to say. And I mean, come on, when you're so exhausted and your head hits that pillow, stone cold sleeping, who can really remember to pray? Devotion at home with my family, with my children. Do you know how many AAU games and practices I shuffle my kids off to like an Uber driver? And so on. Oh, how foolish I've been. What a spiritual moron I can be. Lazy and lethargic, inattentive, unprepared, dozing, or, or sometimes downright asleep. Jesus was so right. The spirit's willing, but the sinful flesh is so weak. Lord, have mercy. 
Some of you know that I, I serve as the campus pastor at Wisconsin Lutheran High School. This is year 120 of the high school. I haven't served for all of those years. 15,000 plus graduates, and yet far too many have walked across that stage of graduation never to think of Jesus again. Far too many went into the safety of stay-at-home shelter with the rest of us during COVID time, only to hibernate in their faith, never to wake up or return to church again. Far too many have sat in these pews and confessed their faith and sang the praises of the Lord back when I was throwing Cheerios in the back row. Sorry to some of you. But they're not here anymore. And it's not because they moved away or are called home to heaven like some. Far too many have expressed their joy and passion for Jesus, learning about him, joining this church or another church. Far too many youth have stood up at their youth confirmation and declared their promises to remain faithful to death, only to have the flame flicker and fizzle and fade out. Far too many have known the groom, have known about the feast, and yet will be shut out to famine in the flames of hell. Lord, have mercy. Wake up! This is why God keeps repeating the message. This is why God's people keep repeating the message over and over. There's an urgency here. Can you feel it? There's no time to waste. The stakes are high. The possible results are dangerous. And it's oh, so difficult. My sinful heart is a moron. It's foolish. And Satan would love nothing more than for me, than for you, to fall asleep on the watch and to have your flame flicker out forever. Lord, have mercy. And thank God he does. Together, here in worship this morning at the beginning of service together, we confessed that we have been dozing off and we have not loved God always with our heart, our soul, our thoughts, our words, our actions. We confess together this morning that, that we've been a bit lazy. We haven't loved God with our whole heart, nor have we loved our neighbor as we should. And so together, we admitted in the presence of our holy God, in the presence of the judge himself, we don't deserve to be at the feast. We should have the door shut. Together, we said these words, we deserve your punishment both now and forever. And then we pleaded with, with broken hearts and contrite sighs, we pleaded, God, have mercy on me. But did you hear what happened next? The judge gave his verdict already. The judge gave an early pre-judgment day verdict. He delivered it to you through his courtroom bailiff. We like to call him pastor. Not guilty. What? I've been so spiritually foolish. I've been such a spiritual moron. Yes, but... All of us confess this too. But Jesus, my Savior, paid for my sin with his innocent suffering and death. 
We have been so dirty and disgusting. Our wedding clothes have been so torn and tattered and ragged and rugged. But you've been washed in the holy, pure blood of Jesus Christ himself. You've been given new wedding clothes. You've been clothed in baptism with Christ himself and with his righteousness. You've been given new wedding clothes that are sewn together by grace, hemmed in with forgiveness, and purchased outright by a death and resurrection. You've even been given a new status, special invited guest, friends and family, child of God. No, even more than that, you've been pulled up to the head table. You've been given a dazzling, glorious wedding dress, and you're shocked like I am to see the place card at your seat. What? Bride of Christ. How glorious. How gracious. Yes, I have been foolish, like you, like the ten virgins, all of them in the story. I have dozed off far too often. I've been spiritually lazy and lethargic, but you know, our heavenly groom, his mercy is new every morning. Every morning, I drown the sinful nature in my identity in baptism and put on that glorious wedding dress again, the robes of Christ. And each day, God says to me, wake up! And he said it through the prophet Isaiah 2,700 years ago, through Paul 2,000 years ago, through hymn writers and pastors and teachers and parents and friends throughout all the centuries. And he's saying it to you today over and over again. Wake up. This is not a call of terror. This is God's glorious call of grace. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Friends, with with all spiritual wisdom and with spiritual diligence, keep your lamps, your torches, trimmed and burning. Take in the Costco-size bulk gallons of lamp oil that God freely gives to you in his word and sacraments. Go ahead, stock up in daily devotions. Douse your torch in oil through regular worship. Keep your lamp bright and burning at this feast, which gives you just a little taste of the great feast. If you ask me, there have been far too many, far too many reminders of late that the Lord might call you home at any time and at any moment. And that's aside from the truth Jesus tells us today, that he might return finally at any time and at any moment. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. You know, your heavenly bridegroom is so eager for the feast. It's really all he thinks about. He's already given you your wedding clothes. By the way, his righteousness and forgiveness look pretty good on you. He's paid the admission in full. He sent out the invitations. I know you've got one. And in fact, he is preparing your room 
and your place right now. And many are waiting at the table for you. He'll be back. Be patient. Be ready. Be prepared. Wake up. And keep watch. Soon. Soon we'll feast there together. And until then, continue to pray. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.